Uh-oh. Like, that's how you start your morning, baby. That's how you do it. Good morning, everybody. Happy Monday. I'm Babs Rawls-Ivy. Welcome to Love, Babs, Love Talk. I'm glad to be here. I hope you are, too. I hope everybody had a good weekend. I always have good weekends. But here's the thing with me. Every damn day is a weekend. Swear to God. I love what I do on the radio. And I love when I'm out in these streets and y'all let me know that you listen. That gives me some, because when I'm sitting here in this little box, I just think nobody's listening. I mean, I know my girlfriend, Ife, is listening. Occasionally, my sister, Lo, is listening. Sometimes my brother, Robert, is listening. You know, so that's that's three people I can count on. <laughs> but the rest of the people around the world, you know, and sometimes Harry get the messages from Russia and wherever the hell else we talk ish about. You know, people let us know. Sometimes people in Florida reach out. So it's been, it's, it's, I want to say thank you that you all listen and you take the time to spend some time with me in the mornings because you could be doing all kinds of other stuff and listening to other people. So thank you. Thank you very, 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 very much. So, so yeah. So, you know, I like, I like to recount the weekends uh, because I go down from Thursday. I start the weekends on Thursday. <laughs> so, you know, I got to go. I got to go look at my Instagram to tell me what, what went down for the weekend. Well, I start with my calendar because, you know, anything that's happening is in my calendar pretty much. So Thursday was the ninth. So if and I went to the Veterans Gala, which I think I talked about on Friday. Well, no, I didn't get a chance to talk about it on Friday because I wasn't here Friday morning. I was here I wasn't here for the first hour. I was here for the second hour because I had Kevin Walton on at the second hour talking about the uh, youth, the youth leadership summit, which from the pictures was a great success. Um, so, so anyway, uh, Thursday night, Ife and I went to the uh, the Veterans Gala at the Long Club, and uh, and it's 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 a, a collaboration with the veterans and Yale Law School, they've created a, a, a veterans, uh, you know how they're at, at the at the law school, they have all these different, uh, I don't even know what you, what do you call them? Relationships. Cause I had the medical folks on between Yale Hospital and Yale Law School uh, with specifically around breast cancer uh, women who are going through breast cancer and having a tough time legally with some issues and lawyers got to come in and like, you know, beat some ass. So same deal with the veterans. Veterans are having a tough time with a whole bunch of issues and attorneys got to step in and beat some ass because I, I just don't get who are these people who want to take advantage of people, one, who served our country and 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 I get the sense underneath all of it, and and I, I don't want to think my country is this effed up, but I'm gonna have to go there. That you we 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 recruit people to serve in the military, and before we even started recruiting people, people were signing up to serve in the military and have served tours of war, served tours in war, right? And so they come back, particularly the ones that come back from Vietnam, which was you know 40 years ago, right? 40, 50 years ago. And uh and they get, you know, they get they get halfway, halfway discharged and you know, all these kinds of things that prevent them from health care through veterans hospitals. So anyway, 
Um, so Yale has a, 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 a component that works with veterans specifically, and they were having a big shindig uh, Thursday night at the Long Club to honor veterans and, and folks who work with veterans. And it was really, really, really nice. And it was beautifully laid out. And it was a good time. And I met some amazing folks, sat at a cool table and uh, met the woman. Uh, I met Karen, who works for the veterans folks at the law school. or in the... And uh, she, her, her and her husband are the ones that built the housing in Rose, on Rosette Street. You know, the, 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 for the home, like six, they built six shelters, housing for homeless people, not just any old homeless people. They, they vetted them and the whole nine. And so, uh, this is the craziest thing. This is so serendipitous. So, you know, I just came back last week, Ife and I and Sarah Lulu, we were, uh, on retreat with CLP listening and I met, uh, I think her name is Laura Brown who is the, uh, you know, the one that wrote the letter. Uh, I think she works in, 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 I don't know what is, whatever economic development or some old thing where they have to deal with, um, you know, letter sent the letter to, to the folks on Rosette street to, you know, tear down the structure. <laughs> so, you know, I worked on her all the, for the three days I was up there, you know, cause I was just, I told her, I said, listen, listen, girl, I was talking cash-ish about you on the radio for like weeks and weeks and weeks. <laughs> I said, anybody told you? <laughs> She's like, I know who you are, Babs. <laughs> she she didn't hear me talk about her, but I talked about her. Uh, but I came away feeling like um, she is not a heartless person. Um, and she is doing her best. You know, I think I think after the CLP, we reconnected her back to her leadership roots that she can go back to this job with a better sense of, OK, I'm I'm here to help not be a barrier. And, and I hope that that's what she took away. I That's the sense that I got because I worked. I, I was like Muhammad Ali on the ropes, baby. Uh, so. Uh, I, I had him on the ropes. But anyway, so I had her one week. And then the, last week I had uh, Karen. Uh, the woman who her husband, uh, um, her and her husband built the housing on Rosette. So I, I, I was supposed to be between these two, which I don't. That's how I'm seeing it because why, uh, why else would I be? Why else would I know that? So I, I feel very strongly about this matter, and I was talking to Karen about it, and uh, and I told her just how I felt, and I, and I'll say this again. I wish we had the kind of mayor who would have went to the camp, the homeless camp, wherever the hell it was, with a tent rather than bulldozers. And I wish he would have camped with them and said, I too am your mayor. I too represent your interests. I too care about what is happening to homeless people in our city. And I'm gonna use whatever tools and abilities that I have to erase homelessness so that y'all could be housed. And I'm going to hang out here with y'all for a couple of days to get to know you, to get to know your situations so that I can better address what is happening. No, he didn't do that. What he did was 
I'm going to send bulldozers and, and tear up your encampment and y'all get the hell up out of here. I wish he was the kind of mayor that said, I am your mayor too, and I'm not going to rest until I get you housed. But he is uninspiring and mediocre and, you know, not caring. So, so when it came to the Rosette Street, I thought, well, here we go. Other communities around the country have used these same people to build housing in LA. And who has the worst housing, the worst housing crisis, and the most homeless people in LA? So they've been building these things in LA to house people as best they can and as fast as they can. And it, it's working. So I don't understand why we wouldn't use this as a teachable moment. But again, if you were a mayor of merit and imagination and 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 wherewithal, then you would you would meet with these folks and say, listen, I I I know this is in violation of what we do, but this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna figure this out. And it starts with having conversations with people in community. I don't think anybody's against tiny houses. And and even if we don't have a zone, it doesn't mean we can't have a zone. Once upon a time, all of New Haven was like farmland. Somebody had to build the first damn house somewhere in this town. And before they did that, they were like, you know what? We're going to work with nine squares. We're going with somebody had the mindset to say, we're going to build on nine squares, and this is how we're going to set up this town. Somebody had to do that. Someone someone had to say, all right, we're going to settle this land. You know, after we done killed and moved Indians off of it, we're going to settle this land, and we're going to do it in an organized way. Somebody had to start that process. It's the same today. Just because we don't have zoning for tiny houses doesn't mean we can't have zoning for tiny houses. And I said to Laura, I said, you know what, girl? Here's the thing about government and magic. We can do anything. Did you hear me? Government and magic means we could do anything. So we don't have zoning for tiny houses. Guess what needs to happen? Zoning for tiny houses. And then we go about the business identifying places where we can build tiny houses. And let me tell you something else. We can put all the damn oversights that we want. The same way that we put oversight on liquor stores, right? And and where where people can buy cigarettes and stuff like that, right? Same, same thing. <laughs> we can do anything. And as and as long as we don't, as long as we have that mindset of government and magic, we could do anything, then we could do anything. We could do anything. And I think people forget that when they are in these roles and they start slogging through the muck and the mire of, of, of the day-to-day -day and they forget that government is, is about service. It's about service. So anyway, Thursday night we were at the Veterans Gala and it was fun. And uh met Mr. Monk. And uh uh and uh he was such an you know, he's one of the monks. There's like 50 million monks in New Haven. Um and he was one of them. And he's so elegant and dapper in a tuxedo. There is something beautiful about a well-appointed black man in a tuxedo. And, you know, he could have been anywhere from 50 to 80, swear to God, 50 to 80. 
and I think he was closer to the 80 side. Uh, but he just looked so uh, dapper and just elegant in, in his tuxedo. And it was his because it was tailored and fit him just beautifully. You know, that's the difference between young boys and men. The men know how to show up appropriately. So anyway, so that was that was that was uh, Thursday and it was a wonderful event. Uh, and the food was pretty good too. And the company was great. I had a good time. I had a really great time. And then uh, like uh, Friday, I had uh, Kevin Walton on. I don't think I did anything Friday night. I had a lot of work to do. And then, um, oh no, yes. And then Saturday, uh, we went to uh, Jack's over at, uh, Monha at Mahari's, like a game night. Uh, game night. We went to game night, and uh, and it was it was fun. I mean, they were playing jacks. Now I, you know, walking up, I was like, I know damn well these old chicks ain't getting on the floor to play no jacks. Well, they they play jacks on the table, <laughs> which was which was really nice. <laughs> play jacks on the table. So I was like, okay. All right, this is good. This is good. So Jack's backgammon. Uh, I declare war. <laughs> and uh and and uh and things to nosh on, appetizers, uh cocktails, that kind of thing, and Mahari's. Uh, because you know, Mahari's does Mahari's after dark, right? A nighttime restaurant. Uh so that was that was Saturday. And then Saturday night we went to uh to the to the Living Legends uh uh, unveiling of uh, the likenesses, portraits, and sculptures of uh, the jazz legends. And it was just beautiful. Just beautiful. And uh, Susan Clenard is, I, she is so gifted and talented. It is just sick. I mean, it's just sick the way that God just moves through her. Do you know what I mean? It's just, it really is crazy how that woman can just get a vibe about people and create them, recreate them and their likeness. It's, 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 that is a real damn gift, a, a gift of, of divinity. That is a gift of divinity. I, I hope she knows it. I mean, I hope she, I hope she knows it because God knows. I, I looked at that stuff and I was just like, what the hell? Who has this kind of talent? Well, she does. And and other people do. Do you know what I mean? Like other people have this kind of talent, you know. But it's it's a but it's a rare talent, right? Like it's not it's not like it's uh you know, anybody could be a sculptor. I, I don't believe anybody, I believe anybody could sculpt. But to be at the master's level the way she is. And so many other famous sculptors, it's just, you know, these kind, this art, the artists that are at that level freaks me out all the time. That's why I like to be in their presence. So, so anyway, um, the folks that were being honored, and y'all know these folks, um, uh, Hank Bolden and uh, Mr. Hameen and, uh, uh, oh gosh, Mr. Person. And uh, Dinky James, Dinky James, uh, Junior Johnson, 
which you remember Dinky's over there on uh on uh golf golf and Sherman Dinky's I now I never went to Dinky's because I was I was never quite old enough to go to Dinky's like because I was a teenager at the height of its time uh, so I was never quite old enough to get in there but I knew I knew people who went there because I knew people who were older than me who would go to Dinky's so uh so it was it was just wonderful um dinky dinky uh dinky houston person uh so these guys and then so the artist was uh jasmine nicole who you've she's self-taught another one god has just given her divination right and uh and katro storm who uh did this wonderful portrait of a person mr person and uh i just to, it was really uh, amazing to be in that space, seeing that unveiling um, with these greats. Uh, it was just, it's one of these, it was one of these moments of greatness. Do you know what I mean? Like there, there are a few times in your life and, and for some people, and I, and I've had the pleasure of a lot of divine experiences, more than my, my fair share, I would say seriously more than my fair share of of divinity and and i don't know why i'm always sit uh to these into spaces but i i serve a god that calls and sins so sometimes he calls me to stuff and sometimes he sends me to stuff but sometimes he calls things to me and sometimes he sends things to me and being in that space at the neighborhood music school on saturday night really was a call and sin moment from god for me and then the capstone of it all. And thank you, Noah, at the Neighborhood Music School for just being one of the coolest people to just like, and he was a, you know, he, Noah, Noah Bloom is like a, like a, like a jazz guy. <laughs> you know, I, I would imagine back in the day, he would have been one of these cats that would have like had a club in Harlem. <laughs> he's that kind of guy, you know, he's got that vibe. So anyway, these cats was playing and they were swinging. And you know, these cats are late seven. When I tell you late 70s and early 80s and damn near 90s, these cats were swinging. They had their instruments and then they had a couple of cats accompanying them who were maybe, maybe, maybe 10, 15 years younger than them. And uh, <laughs> and then um, Mr. 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 Fluker was in the audience. I was sitting two seats away from him. And let me tell you something. He was like a child in a candy store. He was just staring and looking and sitting forward. And I thought, I can't, I snapped a picture of him because he was in awe. And he was like, oh, you know. And and when you see other musicians that you admire, admiring other musicians, that is a beautiful thing. So uh, it was just incredible. So that was Saturday night. Sunday. I didn't go out Sunday. I I did some work. I had I got law school applications to get done. God help me, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Saturday I had law school, Yale access to law school programming. So that was from nine to to one or whatever, whatever. So I had to contend with that, and then and then Saturday, we went to a, a game night at Manhari's, hosted by Lisa Gray. Thank you, Lisa Gray. It was fun. And then we went to uh to the Legends Unveiling at uh, the Neighborhood Music School. And then yesterday, Crafters of Color had an event at uh East Rock Brewery. I don't know how I don't know. It wasn't I don't think it was advertised well enough for my taste. 
Because I think if it was advertised a little bit better, they would have more people come through. But anyway, I went through. And, uh, you know, here's the thing. I, my card my my card was uh, frozen for fraud, for possible fraudulent exposure. And, uh, and it's the, um, it's the, uh, it's, it's Veterans Weekend. So banks are closed Friday and Saturday. So the fraud prevention people called me, but you know, I'm so leery of uh, fraud phone calls and stuff like that, that I did not respond to them. Cause they could have just unlocked my card. All I had to do was just verify these purchases, you know, these attempted purchases that they declined. So I went the whole weekend without my car, without my card card, but I had my other cards. So I was go, I was thinking, well, I'll use my card card, uh, my other card at, at the at the Crafters of Color uh, Bazaar. And do you know? Not near one of them took a card because <clears throat> I couldn't use my Zelle or my Venmo or my Cash App because it was all connected back to my bank and I was locked out of it. So I couldn't buy a damn thing. I was bummed beyond words. So, so anyway, so I just sat at the bar and uh, Susan Klinar and her and her cute ass husband, uh, Terry, uh, came and uh, and uh, and we had pizzas. That that's their hood. That's their hood. So they just walked down from their hood, and you know, Ife came through, and so we were sitting there, and then um, uh, Terry grabbed some pizzas and. French fries, <laughs> and uh, and we just drank beers and talked and laughed and just hung out. It was just cool. So I texted um Karen Walton and Eric Clemens. I said, "Listen, this you know this this beer hall idea. I'm gonna need one of these on Dixwell Lab because I'm in I'm in East Rock and people are in there drinking beer. Now I I'm not with this." We just have pretzels mentality. Cause I feel like if you got beer, you should serve a little something else. Not not a full-on kitchen, but if you could sling some hot dogs, because I think beer and hot dogs would be perfect. And then you put some condiments out, you know, just basic mustard, ketchup, relish, sauerkraut. That's just personal for me. I just like yellow mustard and sauerkraut on a hot dog. I don't want anything else. If they just slung some hot dogs in there with them pretzels. Um, they would have a bigger hit on their hands. But anyway, and then the food mall part, the food hall part was closed. I, I don't know. Does this food hall even make any money? I got to investigate this. Because every time I go there, first of all, it's never a lot of people. Second of all, it just always feel um, empty. <laughs> but it was closed. So there was no no getting other food. Um. So that was Sunday. So we hung out for a good while. It was nice. It was cold as hell last night, too. Uh, and so here we are, Monday morning. Voila! I'm I'm here. It's Monday morning, and I'm I'm in the um driver's seat. <laughs> so that's the weekend. That is the weekend as I as I can report it, you know, and uh I had my 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 cohort, my friend in my law school, access to law school program. We call it the YA2LS. Uh, she lives up in Manchester. And so she lives right around the corner from uh, Divine Chocolates. They make vegan chocolates. 
And so, uh, so I, I text her like, I don't know, Thursday or Friday. I said, Hey, Tiffany, you coming down for the, you know, for our Saturday Academy. So she's like, yeah. So I said, you know what I want? I want some vegan chocolates. So what she does is, and I love this. I love her for this. She, um, she goes to the store and then she FaceTimes me. <laughs> so I can, so, so I can pick out all the candy and she just has such a good time telling me what the candies are just showing me. And I go this, 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 um, peanut butter things are not my favorite. Although I, I do have some, uh, I do have a, uh, a peanut butter cup from Unreal, which is quite good. This is about as much peanut butter and chocolate I could tolerate. Um, and, and I like peanut butter and I like chocolate and I liked them together, but it's not my favorite thing. So anyway, so she, she, um, she FaceTimes me and then we go through all the chocolates in the, in the, in the, in the you know, behind the glass. And then she gets a box, they get a box and then they, I like, I want one of those, two of those, eight of those, whatever it is. And then she pays for them. And then I just cash app her the money. But I couldn't cash app her because my card was frozen. So my, I had to tell my daughter to do it. My daughter did it. My daughter, Margot, did it. But anyway, I took care of my banking. First thing this morning when I got up, I called them. They opened at 8 o'clock. And I talked to Mr. Green, who is one of the best um, uh, bank support people of everywhere. And let me tell you something. New Haven Bank is my favorite, favorite bank. I I think they are the soul of the earth. And they're the kindest people and they know me. Like they knew me from like the second time I came in there. And they're just so I've never had a bank be that nice to me. You know. I really, I really enjoy them. And I love that it's New Haven Bank and not whatever the hell else could be your bank. You know, and they're just generous and nice and they take care of all my banking stuff. And I feel seen and respect. I mean, just I just feel taken care of when I call. And when I, and you know, they, when I call, they know it's me. <laughs> so anyway, so I called this morning and he's like, oh, well, when the fraud people call, just, you know, they just want to verify stuff and you know, whatever. He's like, this will take five minutes. I just need you to verify the things that were declined. Then, you know, and, uh, and it was three things. It was three things that I didn't, I thought it was going to be the stuff that I was shopping, buying online, but no, it was basic ridiculous stuff <laughs> small i thought it was like big stuff there's no small stuff so um so he's like yeah it, your car to be back on in five minutes <laughs> let, me tell, let me tell you about how how i move through the world few things annoy me like when i when i, I i've i've been learning this and paying attention to myself like if there's something, and, and I think this is where the serenity prayer is really embedded in you when you when you when you have to accept the things that you cannot change. And that's usually things right in the moment. Sometimes you just cannot, you cannot will your way out or through something. You can only allow it to be what it is. And then you just move on. Like it, you don't let it take over the day, right? Like you don't let it take over. So, and that's what it was. I was like, okay, I don't have access to my card. What else can I do? Well, I have a credit card. So if I need to move through spaces, I have my credit card. And I had like, I don't know, $10 of cash or something. So I, I and I didn't have any plans to do anything. I, I think I probably would have been more mad if I was somewhere 
But even if I had my card, I still would have been in good stead. So, so I just say all that to say that, you know what? Some things you just, it's like, all right, this is what it is. And then you just be good with it, right? That's that's all you could do. So anyway, uh, I'm I'm feeling pretty damn, feeling pretty damn good. And uh, I have to let Harry know I got, I got guests today, Harry. And uh, Ebony, Ebony, uh, let's see, Underwood. Ebony Underwood is coming on at 10.15. And, uh, and she started, uh, is it Ebony Underwood? I think it is. Yikes. Let me, let me go look this up because I, I don't want to get this wrong. Uh, but she's coming on because she is, uh, let me, uh, let me go back and look up. Uh, I could tell you right now. Let me see. Yes. Ebony Underwood. She is, uh, she is going to be at the Yale Law School today around whatever time um i'm gonna let's see she's gonna be to yale law school at baker hall room 122 today from 12 10 to 1 30 she's giving a talk and it's 10 million children inspired uh educational series exploring the well-being of children and young adults impacted by parental incarceration. So what happens to kids whose parents go to prison? What happens to them? Who is caring for them? What kind of emotional toll is that? And uh, uh, she's gonna talk. She started this organization called uh, We Got Us Now. And she's going to come on and talk about this. And I'm so delighted. Thank you, Kayla Vincent from the uh, Yale Law and Racial Justice Center uh, for setting this up and uh, co coordinating uh, her 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 uh, guesting on my show at 1015. Um, you know, we talk a lot about uh, uh, what happens uh, to children. No, we talk a lot about what happens to uh, uh, folks when they go to prison. But we never talk about uh, what happens to families, particularly children, um, when 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 their parents uh, go to prison and 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 what that looks like for them and how that affects them. So uh, so I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm excited. So uh, so anyway, she's coming on at ten fifteen, and we can have a good conversation. Uh, so I'm just now sending this to Harry. I thought, I don't know why I thought I sent this to him earlier. <laughs> but I guess I, I guess I didn't. <laughs> Sorry, Harry. <laughs> I'm a little slow, a little slow on the uptake. So anyway, a little slow, a little slow, a little slow, a little slow. So. Oh, let me just shout out Faith Lewis, who just graduated from Yale Law and is in, I want to say she is in San Francisco working as an attorney. 
but she just passed the bar and she sent me a text yesterday or a couple of days ago. And her aunt is uh, Carla Jackson, associate dean over at uh, the Yale, Yale School of Drama. And uh, she sent a message and I was so delighted, so delighted, you know, because, you know, if you want to practice law, you got to pass the bar. And, uh, and so she did. So how divine, how divine is that? So anyway, uh, that's quite exciting. So. The babies are out there doing their thing. And, uh, you know, I think Tom Breen just sent me a message. I'm trying to... Uh, I'm just trying to get a sense of uh, who is sent me a message and, and what is it that they are saying to me. So, but it's Monday and it's cold. <laughs> And oh, gosh, it is too much to deal with. So uh, yeah. Okay. Yes, of course. I will absolutely. Oh, that's a lovely thing. Good morning. I will absolutely. Uh. Anyway, uh, so happy Monday morning to everybody. And uh, we're going to get into this week. And I think this is another I got a lot of people I'm talking to week. <laughs> I think I think this is another week where a, uh, a lot of conversations is going on. You know, I've got. Uh... Oh, I'm in the what? What is today's date? Okay, so I have Ebony Underwood coming on at 10.15. Tomorrow I've got um, James Sinclair from Orchestra New England um, coming on. They have a concert or a celebration coming up. Uh, I don't have anybody on Wednesday, which is odd. And then uh, I have Julia uh, Bullock, American Modern Opera, coming on on Thursday, you know. And uh, and I, I'm I'm excited to talk to uh, her because uh, you don't often think of modern opera, <laughs> you know. And then Friday I've got the fabulously uh, Ruthie Gilmore, civil rights activist and professor. And you know, if you go by Possible Futures over there on Hotchkiss and Edgewood, you will see a giant portrait of her on the building on the building. So I'm excited and delighted to talk to her. And I have her book, as a matter of fact, that she signed. So, and you know, it's one of these academic tomes. <laughs> but I have it and she signed it personally. So I'm very delighted by that. Extremely delighted by that. So, so you know, I got to take a I got to take a run through the uh the world of of uh news. So let me see what's happening. Uh let me run over to the New Haven Independent. Uh, okay, so New Hallville Church's roof repairs uh, rejoice. So what church is this? Pitch Chapel. Uh, so they're raising uh, uh, 
uh they want to they want to uh show that they uh got raised some money for their church hooray hooray pitts chapel uh oh and then the zines over at uh um possible future karen ponzio doing her thing and then uh six lakes coalition towards the perimeter so and i remember um uh uh justice talking about this on my show a couple of years ago and he was talking about this particular uh 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 the 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 that those lands where the water is in Hamden um, that are, is closed off to the public because it was part of uh, industrial stuff. So it needs to be cleaned up or something or other, but they didn't want people in there. So, uh, so yeah. And then there's the piece about, uh, uh, oh, they got some more stolen money back. Uh, 1.2 million. Okay. These people be stealing big time. <laughs> I was like, all right, okay. Uh, I I wish that I could have seen uh, come from away. I I wanted to see it. I I just could not fit it into my to my schedule. So let me see if it's gone because you know things at the Schubert. You know they're not staying there forever and ever and ever. So uh, let's see. Uh, yeah, they see they just kicked off their season, and congratulations to uh, uh, to to the McDonald's. They just welcomed their new baby a couple of week a week or so ago. So I'm just so delighted, and that baby came early because I think they were thinking about a Christmas baby or a New Year's baby or something. So anyway, but you know, baby came before Thanksgiving. I was like, okay, baby. <laughs> you know, babies come when they come. You know, doctors could do all the voodoo they want and guess. You know, but really doctors are just soothsayers. You know, it's like, well, we we're gonna take a wild guess. It's like playing lottery. Because babies show up when they show up. Babies are like, okay, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, I'm ready. So uh so anyway, the Schubert season. Uh, Chicago. If you've never seen Chicago and you like musicals, this is one to see. It's a it's a good one. It runs from December seventh to the tenth, and then Company, which is which is what I want to see because uh, it's January thirty first to February fourth. I can pass on Annie. Hades Town. I think I want to see. I've been eyeing that for a minute, and I've watched it. It was in Hartford, and I was wondering if it was going to come to New Haven, but it's coming to New Haven, and it's very black, right? So you you want to see that? I've seen Stomp. I've seen Stomp. With myself, with my children, I'm not going to go see that. Definitely the Dance Theater of Harlem, because how can you not love dancing? So anyway, um, I wanted to see from uh, come from afar, but we'll see. I think I think it's too late. I think it's already. I think it might be already gone. Oh no no oh yeah it's gone. It was here through the 11th. So I missed it, you know, so, you know, so what, let it be, let it be gridlocked. It is acceptable. This is a, this is a city that has stuff happening. It's not a town. <laughs> you, you don't want traffic. 
move your ass to Guilford. <laughs> That's what I want to say. I think people should move to Guilford. You don't want a traffic problem. You have a tough, listen, this is my town. But let me tell you, the mark of success of any city at this size is if you cannot find parking, that means people want to be here. That means people want to be here and you've got something that they want to be a part of, see, sharing, partake of. And you can't be mad at that. So plan accordingly. Plan accordingly. If 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 you know stuff is going on downtown, don't get mad. Reroute yourself. And trust me, I I I get caught up in stuff all the time in traffic and I cannot stand it. But the other part of me is. All right, people are here trying to check out my town. I'm for it. That's how I roll. <laughs> I'm going to say that too in the comments. I worry about that because it means our city is vibrant. People want to be here. In spite of in spite of whatever, people want to be here. And they come for the food. They come for the shows. They come for the music. They come for the theater. They come for all the right reasons. You know what I mean? And it's fine. So, you know, if you if you don't like that, I think you need to go move Madison. Those towns would love to have you. <laughs> North Haven, Madison, uh, uh, Old Saybrook. Move out there. Go move. Because what I don't want is people to be here whining about whatever. New Haven's not a sleepy little town. It's a vibrant, small city. And as such, people want to be here. You know, they want to be here. So, you know, I'm going to go and wax poetic about that. <laughs> I Watch me. This, this I'm going to piss somebody off day. <laughs> and let me tell you something. I remember one time I was downtown and it was three things happening all at once at the Palace, at the Schubert, and then one other venue. And I was just like, oh God, this is a freaking pain and you know i don't like parking in in the lots not because i think the lots are unsafe or hard or any of that i love the challenge of finding parking on the street because it's my town and so it's a personal it's a deeply personal thing <laughs> but but sometimes i i i concede that for the interest of time so i'll pull into the lot behind you know, across from Bar and 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 next to um, Geronimo, when I when I have time, and if it's full, then then I gotta go back around because New Haven is just a series of one way streets. <laughs> now that now, if people can fetch about that, I'm with you because these one way streets are a pain in the ass. And let me tell you something: they weren't one way streets like this when I was a kid. This is just some new iteration of that. You know, to you know, to shut down on the drug dealing. Uh, and it worked, I, I imagine, in some specs, but now I'm just annoyed by it. So if anybody wants to whine about that, I'll co-sign. But I'm not going to co-sign people whining about how much people in parking and gridlock it is on a on a hot ass. I mean, and by hot, I mean a jumping Saturday night when uh, people are like trying to get in to see a show or something, you know, because when they come in, you know, they want to, this is what people do. They come in, they want to come in early. They want to get some dinner somewhere. And then go to the theater or to a show or whatever. And then after the fact, you know, like old people, 
old people run out early. They leave early. They run. They get in their cars. They go home because they're old, and you know they're just old. I'm not. I'm not in that club. Even though I'm sixty, I I'll go out after the show and just like, all right, I'm gonna go have a cocktail at Anchor Spa somewhere. Uh, while this uh traffic dies down, then I'll I'll go get my car and I'll go home. That's how I get down. Cause that's how I want to live. I want to live like that. I don't want to be like, oh my god, I have to get out and get my car. I got to go down. I don't want to be like that. I like to sit to the end of stuff, you know. But I see old people do it all the time. I don't know what that is with them, you know, to be so consumed about traffic like that. <laughs> like you miss, you miss so many. And you know, if you just sat twenty minutes, it'll all resolve itself 20 minutes maybe 30 minutes sit in the lobby talk with your friends you know or however long it takes i mean you're just going home <laughs> i mean it's already dark it's not gonna get darker <laughs> it's already late it'll get later but that's okay you know so I, i'm always amused by people who who run out like that you know, it's like, oh, my God, it's over. I was like, it's a whole, you know, there's an art and experience to going to stuff. <laughs> it tickles me every time I see that. People running out before the, and they run, and they do it before the show even ends. I was like, you spent all this time watching an hour and a half, two hours show, and then you don't stay to the very end because you want to go get your damn car out the garage. Just seems it just seems small and ridiculous to me. Like, where the hell are you go? You're just going home. <laughs> Your home is gonna be there. <laughs> Your slippers gonna be at the front door. You know all the things. I don't know. I just feel. I I don't know how people want to live their lives, or the quality of their lives. Yeah, I'm talking about that. I'm to I'm talking about it. Cause like, sit down. Sit and have a conversation about what you just saw and let everybody else rush to their cars. You'll be all right. And I get it. Sometimes I just want to get out too. Sometimes I'm like, all right, I stay to the end. I just want to get out. And I'll go get my car or whatever, you know. And, and and then I just relax into it. It's like, okay, it's going to take me a minute to get out of the parking garage or wherever the hell I'm at. Okay, this is what it is. And I like parking garages where I can just pay for my ticket up front so when I get out, I could just drive out, you know, and they do that at the parking garage next to the, to the Schubert, you know, and I, and, and I'm not, I, it's not that I don't like parking garages. I just, I just prefer to park on the street because I just feel like this is my city and, and, and I just want to park on the street. That's how I feel. That is how I feel. So anyway, that's life. <laughs> so all you old people out there, sit your asses down and have a conversation with whoever you roll with and talk about what you just saw. Stop being in such a hurry. <laughs> you can get home, I'm going to get home. Oh my God. <laughs> and sometimes Ife and I will go to late night happy hour at House of Nine. They have the best late night happy hour. Because no matter what time of day you walk in there to eat, the food is always good, top to bottom. 
Whether you go in there at four o'clock when they open for dinner or lunch at one o'clock or late night happy hour at 9, 30, 10, 11 o'clock, it is always good. <laughs> We've never had a bad meal there or a bad cocktail. I'm not kidding. So I just, I'm just letting you know, there's things that you could do after hours in the city. Walk across the street to Anchor Spa and get a cocktail. Or um, few people will go to Owl Shop if you're not a cigar smoker. But if it's nice outside, you can sit outside. They'll bring you a, a drink. You can sit outside. It's cold now. But when it's nice out, you know, if you don't want to go there, there's Elm, Elm City Social, uh, uh, Pacifico, uh, and the other the other little place, uh, South Bay. Sit. And South Bay, you can sit in the window, look out, watch people, you know, run to their cars while you sit, have a glass of wine. <laughs> or a cocktail before you go home. You know, I'm just saying. People forget that they used to be young and vibrant. Now there's everybody's all old and like, oh, you go home and they want to go out. They want to stay up late. They just want to be home. I was like, you're gonna die, right? Like at some point you're gonna die. And 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 people only remember you one or two years after you die. A hundred years from now, who will give a damn about you? Nobody. So enjoy this time. <laughs> the the house that you live in, somebody else is gonna live in. The things that you have will be vintage and somebody will throw them away or sell them or whatever. So Take this time to enjoy stuff now while you are breathing. <laughs> what is wrong with people? Oh my God, we gotta get home. Oh, we gotta get home. You're gonna be dead in a little bit. Just be alive now. <laughs> Don't see some stuff. Oh, everything hurts. Everything, yeah. You know what? You know what to take care of that? Some ibuprofen. Take some ibuprofen or some acetaminophen, Tylenol, and go get your asses out and do some stuff. And see see some things while you are very much alive. Because at some point, they're going to cart you out your house and you're going to be dead or you're going to be in somebody's nursing home or whatever. And you won't be able to get this time back. So, Gus, do some stuff. <laughs> do something. Get out there. See some of this glorious country. Enjoy your city. Explore your city. Get lost and be a tourist in your city. I love it. There's so many cool things that you can do in New Haven. And you could just walk around. You just walk around, walk around, walk around. You know, stroll the greens, particularly when it's a lovely day. Take a walk along the whole green. You'd be surprised what you could see and notice and and uh uh experience when you do that. And yeah, and I know, listen, I know there are people like, oh, all oh, the drug addicts and whatever, whatever, whatever. Okay, if that's all that you see, this is not the conversation for you. So turn me off and go sit grumpily in your whatever and 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 don't listen further. <laughs> this is not a conversation for you. This is a conversation for the people who might need permission to just go out there and say, you know what? Bab said I should go get me some Latin food at Pacifico. I'm going to go and sit at Pacifico and have one of the little cocktails and a meal and see what happens. Or I'm going to go to the gastro pub around the corner. Or I'm going to go to Jack's. Or I'm going to go to Barcelona. Or I'm going to go around the corner to wherever, whatever. You know, uh, you know, do that kind of stuff. Or I'm going to go to Harvest on a Thursday because I know that they have jazz on Thursdays. And, 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 
personally for me, they have a good chilled sancerre. <laughs> so anyway, I'll be back with uh, Ebony Underwood at 1015. We all we got now. And uh, she's going to come on and talk about her organization and what she's doing, uh, uh, specifically around uh, children of incarcerated children of incarcerated parents so uh come back around i'll be here hi this is babs from new haven connecticut and you're listening to whhlb 103.5 streaming live at newhavenindependent.org To a solo, get in the flow, and you can picture like a photo. Music makes mellow, maintains and make melodies for MCs. Motivates the breaks, I'm everlasting. I can go on for days and days with rhyme displays that engrave deepest X-rays. I can take a phrase that's rarely heard, flip it. Now it's a daily word. I can get iller than normal, killing bomb, but no alarm. Rock Kimmel remain calm. Self-esteem make me super superb and supreme. Before a microphone, still I fiend. This was a tape. I wasn't supposed to break. I was supposed to wait, but let's motivate. I want to see you keep following and swallowing. Taking the making, biting and balling. Brothers tried and others died to get the formula. But on my let you sweat, you still ain't warm. You a step away from frozen, stiff as if you're posing. Digging to my brain as the rhyme gets chosen. So follow me, or what you're thinking, you were first. Let's travel at magnificent speeds around the universe. What could you say as the earth gets further and further away? Planets are small, the balls of clay are straying to the Milky Way. Worlds out of sight, far as the eye can see, not even a satellite. Now stop and turn around and look as you stand in the darkness. You're now just took. So keep staring soon, you suddenly see a star, you better follow it, cause it's the all. This is a lesson if you're guessing it, if you're following, hurry, hurry, step right up and keep following the leader. Follow the leader, I can Try to step off yourself self-destruct I came to overcome before I'm gone By showing and proving and letting ours be born Then after that I'll live forever You disagree, you say never Then follow me from century to century You remember me in history Not a mystery or memory I call by nature, mind raised in Asia Since you was tricked, I have to raise you From the cradle to the grave But remember, you're not a slave Cause we was prepared to be much more than that But we couldn't see because our mind was trapped But I'm here to break away the chains Like jury, 
word, just a riddle rapping your rhymes a minute mate. I'll be here when it fade to watch it flip like a renegade. I can't wait to break and eliminate on every trade of a snake, so stay awake and follow and follow because the tempo's a trail, the stage is a cage, the mic is a third rail. I rock him, the fiend of a microphone. I'm not him, so leave my mic alone. Soon as the beat is felt, I'm ready to go. So fasten your seatbelt, cause I'm about to flow. No need to speed, slow down and let the leader lead. Word to daddy, indeed, the R's are roller stone, so I'm rolling. Directions is told, then the rhymes are stolen. Stop bugging, the brother said, dig him. I never dug him, he couldn't follow the leader long enough, so I drug him. It's a danger zone, he should arrange his own face it, just basic, erase it, change the tone. It's one R in the alphabet, it's a one letter word, and it's about to get more complex from one rhyme to the next. Everything be easy on the flex. I've been from state to state, followers tailgate, keep coming, but you came too late, but I wait. So back up, regroup, get a grip, come equip, you're the next contestant, clap your hands, you want a trip. The price is right, don't make a deal too soon. How many notes get the name this tune? Follow the leader is a title theme task. Now you know you don't have to act. Rap is rhythm and poetry, cuss, create sound effects. You might catch up if you follow the records he wrecks. Until then, keep eating and swallowing. You better take a deep breath and keep following the leader. Follow the leader, I can't believe. Keep following, I can't believe. Follow the leader, I can't believe. Follow the leader, I can't believe. Sucker 
Oh, good morning, beautiful people. Welcome back to the second hour of Love Babs Love Talk. I am delighted this morning to have Ebony Underwood. Unmute yourself, Eb. Uh, we got us. Let me tell you something about Ebony. She's a social entrepreneur, a content creator, advocate, and an Aspen Institute Ascend Fellow. Um, she is the founder and CEO of We Got Us Now. We Got Us Now, and she founded We Got Us Now as the first of its kind national nonprofit, nonpartisan organization advocating for the well-being of children and young adults impacted by parental incarceration, with a mission to engage, elevate, educate, and empower. So she built and led, uh, built and led by this historically invisible subpopulation of children. We Got Us Now cultivated a strength-based approach through the use of digital narratives, safe and inclusive spaces, leadership building and advocacy led campaigns to ensure uh, that lived expertise of the community's voices are at the forefront of strategic initiatives, practices and policies that will help to keep families connected uh, create fair sentencing and end mass incarceration. Good morning, girl. That's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning. Thank you so much. <laughs> so nice to meet you. Thank you. It for is lovely me. to meet you. And and uh, you know, I've been thinking about this ever since Kayla Kayla Vincent of the uh, the Yale uh, Racial and Law Center um, uh, brought this to my attention. I, I have been but done nothing but think about what this means um, when we talk about uh, 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 incarceration and hypermass incarceration, we never think about the collateral damage. We only focus no. on the people who go serve their time, but they leave behind whole families and children oh and loved ones. Mm -hmm. oh my so this gosh, is personal yeah. to you. This is personal. Uh, yes, this is a very personal story. My father, for the majority of my life, was incarcerated uh, for three decades, actually. Um, and for most of that time, I never talked about it. Like, I never talked about it because of the trauma. This, first of all, because of the devastation and trauma uh, um, of his arrest. And then thereafter, I just, I never knew how to describe it. So I was just like, I'm just going to ignore it. And I believe that was like a coping mechanism for me. And so, yeah, for so much of my life, I decided not to. Um, but... <laughs> You know, as life will have it and as God will have it, you know, he puts you in places and puts you in situations and, and makes you really think about why are you here and what is your purpose? And and um, that led me to say, you know what, I'm tired of visiting prisons. I've been mm. going. My father, was, my father was in federal prison. I've been going to. I had gone through eight different federal facilities since he wow. was incarcerated um, all across the United States. And they're and, not easy places to get to. Like some no. of them are impossible to get to. Absolutely. That's the truth. Yes. Um, and then imagine if you go and they're locked down and nobody tells you. Yeah. And then you so, can't get you in know, and you got to turn around and go back and you don't know when they'll be up and running. That's, exa you know what I mean? like, that's exactly right. That's exactly yeah. right. And that has had that has happened. That has happened. We've driven, you know, across several states and have been turned away because of the fact that they're locked down. And of course, you know, at that point they weren't telling anyone, you know, there were no notifications. We just kind of had to just deal. And so as a daughter who had been dealing with this for a really long time, um, I was compelled to say something when I heard the Obama administration say that they wanted to reform the criminal legal system. And so that to me, I just felt like, oh my gosh, this is a moment in time where my dad, who had at that point been fighting for, 
at least 20 years um, to come home. And I said, I, I need to say something. And so I had never shared this publicly, but I said, if he's calling this thing that I've experienced mass incarceration, I'm like, okay, well, maybe they get it. Maybe he's going to really do something. And so that led me to basically saying, I am going to um, learn everything that I can about my dad's case. And because I did not want to be surprised. And once I did, I decided I would speak out and speak for, for him because it felt like he was speaking from a well and no one was hearing him. Mm. Um, and I say that because, you know, for a lot of people that are incarcerated, oftentimes they need support. They need legal support. They need legal advocates, legal advocates. They need voices outside, you know, to show and share about who they are today and, you know, um, and to understand like what they have actually been through and their achievements and their accomplishments and the changes that they've actually made. For those that have actually made progress and change, they need voices and legal advocates on the outside. I did not know this um, at the time, but I decided that I wanted to say something and what led me to saying something was really, what really led me was the fact that my father had not stopped being a dad. He had um, for the majority of his time there had never once stopped being a dad. He wrote birthday cards when I did not want to have anything to do with him. He continued to call. When there, when email came into place, he sent emails, graduation cards, like every, I mean, he was like annual with, and just very consistent. Annual cards, annual birthday cards, annual holiday cards, just, just his, his consistency I only recognized it when I became an adult, but his consistency mm. was unmatched. And I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I think I should say something because he's really fighting to come home and he has no relief. And it's obvious there's some disconnect. So that's what propelled me to actually um, get into this work. And then after he got denied, I worked my butt off for two years. And after he got denied, <laughs> I kind of was gutted because I had put this on my sleeve. I had um, worked alongside Senator Cory Booker and got his attention. I worked alongside Van Jones, got his attention. I worked alongside Google and produced three iterations of this of this uh, digital campaign called Love Letters. You know, I felt like, oh my God, this this could be the moment. And then um, in November of 2016 my father's attorney got a letter saying that my father was denied with no explanation and, and nothing, uh, um, no reasoning. And I could not believe it. I was like, I've literally put my heart in my sleeve. I had never spoken about this before. And you all are denying me? No way. And so um, in that moment, I took a break. I took a breath and prayed, did a lot of praying. And, and in the process, I realized that this is way bigger than myself. Mm -hmm. This is not, this is way bigger than our, our personal story. This is, I had met so many daughters and sons. I was going to ask you, once you open the floodgates and you find out that you are not alone standing in this space and there are so oh many goodness. other people that could share with you, but well, this is what we did and this is how we yes. managed and this is, and then you just feel like I have all this information, but there's no Absolutely. connecting way and everybody's like doing their own thing and there's no connecting so here you come we got us now <laughs> that's right and that's what came that's what came on my heart that's what God placed on my spirit we got us now 
And at first I was like, oh, it's kind of a weird name, but. It's very black. <laughs> What'd you say? It's, ve it's very black. Because that's how we that's how we talk, right? Like hey, 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 that's hey. That's what we say. Was, we got it, us now. I mean, you know, those were the words that came on my heart. And it was not just we got us, it's we got us now. now. Like right now, right now, right now. And um yeah, we got us now came into being. Uh, formed in 2017 we officially launched in 2018 and we have not stopped since are you a lawyer ebony so uh, this is the funny story i was actually on the road to law school and a very dear friend and mentor of mine who is now since passed um this is at the time at 2014 i was asking like should i do this like should i say something you know um about my dad being incarcerated and get obama's attention or should I just go to law school? Like, maybe that's what the way to go. Like, right. And he said, Ebony, law school is not going anywhere. I'm a <laughs> lawyer. Lawyers are, you know, you could be 50 years old and become a lawyer or 60 years old. It does not matter. It's not going anywhere. Go get your dad. Go get your dad. And I have to say, <laughs> that was probably the best decision that I, or best advice that I could ever have gotten. Cause it's so true. So I was actually on the road. I was studying for the, for the LSAT and no, I decided to pivot and do this work. And I've looked now I'm lost this national, you know, nonprofit organization and we've been doing incredible work. There's, you know, we have daughters and sons. We have over 20 daughters and sons nationwide who are part of our actionist leadership network. Um, and we call ourselves actionists because we believe in our advocacy leads to action. And so we call ourselves actionists. Um, we passed six pieces of legislation, one at the local level, three at the state level, and two at the federal level. Wow. Um, we have a top 10 rated podcast called We Got Us Now Podcast. Please go check it out. Oh, absolutely. Um, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we are moving and shaking and, 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 you know, continuing to push on. And we've, and we've reunited so many families. I didn't say that. My dad, after 33 years, came home in uh 2021 uh, wow. during the pandemic. I was gonna yeah, ask, but I, I was a, I was a little reluctant because I was like, well, you know, she didn't no, say he received, yet. So Yeah, he received a compassionate release. There's so much going on. So it's like, oh my gosh, all of it is like I'm still I'm still in the throes of like just re realizing that he's home. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. So so it's Ebony, the incredible. more that you do this work, do you find like the more there's work to be done? Like, because I know when you go across the country talking about reunifying folks and 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 and, and talking to folks whose parents were incarcerated, that can't be it's not this one story, it's a bunch of stories over and over. And so many people have done what you've done, just not talk about it because they don't have any real place to talk about it at you know schools are not creating spaces for kids to talk about this do you know what i mean no. and yeah. there's no churches yeah. are not doing this work i mean you know no shade to churches or any of these institutions but i i don't think people are aware that space needs to be made for a particular population of people that this is happening to this is so true i'll tell you this you know people hear the term children of incarcerated parents and automatically put us in the box of um criminal justice reform and we don't believe that this is a criminal justice reform issue solely like this issue should be looked at from the lens of the child rather than the lens of the incarcerated parent 
because oftentimes there is a trickling down effect where we get buried with all of these narratives about who we are likely to become because of uh, our parents' experience. And it's so many false narratives around that that are stigmatizing and re-traumatizing and most, it's a historically invisible population. So most daughters and sons don't speak about it because of the fact that they don't, either they have shame or there's trauma or there's stigma, or they don't wanna be associated with it. It's true, everybody does not have my story. However, a lot of uh, young people that I've found are often siloed in this, um, in this experience because navigating the waters of the criminal legal space is, is not an easy thing. And so most times when people are um, trying to figure it out, that's what I got. I get a lot of questions about, like, how did you do it? How did you help get your dad home? Or what are some of the things that you do to continue to stay focused? Um, and so, yeah, there's there's many, many layers to this. And in the criminal legal space, we're often, the children are often like an afterthought. We are not mm. the priority in the mm -hmm. conversation. Most, you know, because it's such a big issue, right? Right, the mass incarceration, this is 50 years of mass incarceration in 2023. And so mass incarceration has bubbled into, you know, um, first of all, it's the individuals that are incarcerated. Then, you know, secondly, then it's the men that are incarcerated. Then now the women are advocating for, you know, um, their rights as incarcerated individuals and mothers. And then, you know, and all of those things that go along with it and all the injustices of that. And then there's the juvenile justice system. So when it comes to when it comes to children of incarcerated parents, they're like, oh, right, right. You guys, too. I'm like, this is such a big, big, big island that we all live on. And um, yeah, we're kind of like in the caves <laughs> in the island. So what we got us now has been able to do is kind of open us, open it up and bring some sunlight. Um, we really work from a strengths-based approach. Our approach is is centered around um, wellness and well-being. That's that's the place that we start with with our even with our actionist network, primarily because there was so much hurt. It's really it's been this experience has been cathartic for me, and because there was so much hurt um, and pain that I had unknowingly experienced. Um, in this and having to leave my dad every time we visited him or, you know, moments, the holiday season is coming up. That's a, another tough time, you know, for a lot of daughters and sons and people don't recognize that Mother's Day and Father's Day is also a really tough time for families um, and just, you know, having to be re reminded about, you know, what has happened in your family. And, you know, a, a lot of times people just kind of just brush the situation under the rug. And, and so in an effort to not to no longer do that, um, we got us now decided that we were going to um, say no more and say it's time for our voices to be heard because there have been so many policies that have been passed over the last 50 years mm -hmm. that have, you know, um, separated, continuously separated us from our parents. And so we wanted to say no more. And so that's what we did. Wow. I, I, so I, I would imagine, Ebony, that the work that you're doing depends on partnering with like-minded, supportive organizations. And maybe Absolutely. some of them are unlikely organizations. I don't talk a little bit about how do you get this done uh, in, in, in community with, with folks? 
So we felt like the best way. So, you know, we're from, I have a mantra that technology is the doorway and storytelling is the key. Um, and that's primarily because I literally was in my bedroom on my laptop. And that was how I was able to garner so much attention around my personal story. Um, and so I feel like in order for, you know, today we live in the age of social media and digital content. And so it was important for me to be able to reach organizations that had bigger reach. Um, and so the partnership with Google was, was fundamental in that, right? I, I was at an event that I got invited to, uh, families got invited to the White House, those that were advocating. And we were loud, myself and my my siblings were loud and uh, wanting to, you know, get our father some some support. And so we were one of the families that were recognized or invited. And while there, I had met some people from Google had hosted a special dinner for the families. This was in DC. And so while at the dinner, <laughs> I had met with one of the Google executives and they heard my story and they were like, oh my God, because I had, I had already on my own created a website. I call it, I created a campaign called Hope for Father's Day. <laughs> I created a, I created a website. I created a hashtag, you know, for me, whatever day my dad came home, it would be considered Father's Day. And so I just was like relentless with like wanting to try to get as much attention as possible. And in the process, you know, Google saw me and they were like, we really love what you've done and we want to help you to propel this. And so that kind of that kind of led me to like say, oh, okay, well, this was a great partnership. And we ended up doing three iterations of this digital campaign. We had John Legend introduce one campaign. We had a woman from Orange is the New Black introduce another campaign. And then we had a YouTube um, influencer uh, introduce the third campaign. And it was just so inf instru instrumental. And I guess we we were able to garner a lot of like awareness. Megan the Stallion reached out. Um, Fashion Nova Cares reached out. Um, you know, different people in different places started to see, you know, our issue and who we were and garnered us a lot of attention. Um, right now we're um, producing an educational series this fall. And we've been at uh, several universities and colleges across the country. We started at Howard Community College in Maryland. Um, and what we're doing is exploring the well-being of children of incarcerated parents. And so uh, started there at the community college, then went down to University of Miami and their law school there. And we were talking to young people that were in the community and, and very excited people that were students um, that wanted to learn more and even discovered some of our own community, daughters and sons that were part of that community and wanted to get involved. Um, from there, we went to UC Berkeley and we were there at Berkeley Law. Um, and today we'll be at Yale Law School through the Race and Racial and Justice, Race and Justice Center. So very, very excited. Shout out to Kayla and, and Ray and Ariane there. They have been very, very supportive of our team. So we're excited. I, I listen. I I have the flyer been floating it around my social media platforms uh, because oh, I think this Thank is you. this is such a necessary conversation. And I I for the life of me, I don't know who is talking about this in spaces, particularly around children. I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. 
we we talk about the incarcerated adults and juvenile justice, but we don't go that extra step to talk about, uh, and we even go so far as to talk a little bit about caregivers who who provide caregiving, but we don't talk about uh, the the direct effects that this has on children. I mean, I I'm formerly incarcerated, but my children had a whole support team in place, right? Their father was Ooh. around, a whole church community, and still. Um, um, we made the decision not to tell them what was happening because they were very, very little. So we just kind of concocted a story. And but as they grew up, um, I we told them the story. Like we, I didn't spend a lot of time in prison, but in federal prison. Um, so that's why we could say, "All right, I'll be back." But we didn't say where I was going. We just kind of concocted the story. But as they have gotten older, and they're all grownups now, they're in their 20s, mid 20s. Uh, and we have talked about this and uh, and their feelings about what was happening. And uh, what struck me was, is that uh, there were folks in the community who uh, talked to them about these matters in ways that were not appropriate, mm. that that spoke to them about about what had happened you know and mm. and they and they put they put judgment on them in ways that mm -hmm. i just thought was inappropriate and i thought yeah. who is talking to children like this like all the time why would all you the time. why would you consider yourself time. thinking that you were trying to right some wrong or you didn't appreciate the way we handled this or and I, and i and it got me thinking about this ebony ever since i knew you were coming i was like what do people do in families when these kinds of things happen? You know, what? how do they handle talking to their children about when a parent has to go um, away for, for time, to serve some time somewhere? You know, like that's a huge yeah. thing because kids still go to school. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Right. And don't, <laughs> and don't let it be a public, you know, really, really publicly or widespread or a personality that is that's happening too because yeah then it's like oh my god it's it's traumatizing for most kids they don't know what to say um you know and there are you know I, I love what you shared about you know your experience and thank god your family had a support system um I, I feel like because so many people don't think about this issue and even the caregivers and even the parents that are incarcerated you know they're so immersed and even the you know the family members that are left behind um, they are so immersed in like just trying to cope um, with some of the social determinants of health that occur uh, once a parent is incarcerated. Oftentimes, you know, there's the economic instability that occurs in the home. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, um, you know, some of the emotional pieces that uh, people often don't speak of that I think is really important. But all of like adequate health care and just like, you know, lack of employment. I know my mom was really, she was a stay-at-home mom, and so she was really concerned about our economic well-being. And so emotionally, she she wasn't even in a mind frame to think about how it was truly affecting us. Like it was, it was just like, how do we how do we survive? Right. Most yeah. People I gotta keep a roof over your like, head. I gotta keep food on the table. Yeah. You're gonna exactly. be all right. <laughs> right. So it comes to this conversation of survival. So yeah. you know, the the your your processing of like how this is how is this affecting our children, that doesn't come until until later because you're just trying to of of course keep right the the, the basic needs met, keep those basic needs met. So there are no instructions for this conversation. And because we know that, 
that is why um, we decided to begin to speak out because for so long, a lot of families don't share with their children. And when they don't share, a lot of times, you know, when the kids find out, they either feel betrayed, they feel like they didn't know, they feel like what happened, they want to know more. There's all these questions that arise. And it's challenging because, again, there is no instructions. So what we got us now, our intention is to ensure the well-being of these children from childhood all the way to young adulthood to ensure that they are okay. And how mm. we do that is working working alongside several different systems and really working as an advocacy organization, but also as a systems change organization because the criminal legal space is not, you know, they're doing, I guess, what they can do at, on their level. But for me, we can't keep incarcerating ourselves out of a problem. We have to really begin to address what does it take to uplift the integrity of these families and really begin to think about it, not from the incarcerated individual's perspective, but really more so from the child's perspective. What are we doing to support these, this, these children? You know, and then, so we've been looking at different systems. Um, higher education is one system that we've been talking to. Um, another system is talking to public health care officials about how do we ensure the well-being. You know, we released a report in May, and then you can you all can find that on our website at wegotusnow.org. It's called 10 Million Children Inspired. Mm -hmm. Our answer, our answer to 50 years of mass incarceration. And in it, it basically lays out who we are, why we exist, and the future of our work. And the reason why this is so important, because many people think, oh, okay, this is like a fellowship of young people. They come together and they, and it's it's way, way bigger than that. Uh, what We Got Us Now is designed for is to build a community, um, a, a, a voice, a, 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 um, a echo chamber of support for daughters and sons that have had this experience and, and take that and ensure that we begin to build real inroads to ensure that our families are not forgotten, that we're not forgotten. You know, I didn't even talk to you about the statistics. You know, over 2 million people have been incarcerated in the United States. You know, mm -hmm. we're 5% we're of the world's population and, and yet we incarcerate 25% of the world's population. And, um, and unfortunately, 50% of the incarcerate, incarcerated population are parents. Um, there are nearly 5 million children at this current time in 2023 with an incarcerated parent that are under the age of 18, children under the age of 18. They, nearly 5 million of them have a parent that's incarcerated. But the epidemic of it all is that over these last, you know, several decades, 10 million children have been impacted, including myself. I was a child when this happened to me. And so I just was like, you know, we, we can't keep just forgetting about these these children and picking and choosing our issues. Um, we have to really begin to address this and we need the support of different systems in order to get this fully moving and forward. It, it can't just be reliant on the criminal legal system. They can't solely do it. They, they haven't been able to do it. We see that. And so we as an organization recognize that what we can do as daughters and sons who have had this lived experience 
what we can do is help to support these different systems and better ensuring that we don't continue um, having this thing called mass incarceration, where we are just incarcerating people and destroying communities and ripping apart families. We can do this better. We can do this smarter. We have the, we have the technology. We have the insight and in intellect uh, nowadays. And we, as a community, all as a society, just need to come together to ensure that we're thinking about this issue from the lens of these children. And so that is our perspective and that is our objective. And that's how we, we will now use our lived expertise as daughters and sons to help to support these systems. And that's what we do. We've been providing effective solutions around how to best support all of these systems. And so it's been really, really like incredible for us to do that. Yeah. I, I I I I was glad that you said that, Ebony, because you know at the end of the day, I mean, I, I hear you talking, but people need tools on how to like get started with having these larger conversations in community, like how do they do it? And I, you know, I'm just thinking about New Haven. New Haven is is a a, a small city, but we have big city issues, and and we have mm -hmm. a, a a mass incarceration system. I live in a community that's heavily policed ridiculously police and lots and lots of people go in and out of prison and jails and stuff like that. And there are children that are collateral, are, are collateral damage for that. But, you know, somebody has got to have these conversations and, and uh, I don't know if churches are, are inclined to have this conversation or schools at the elementary grade school level, how do you empower them? And teachers already feel, you know, overwhelmed with dealing with whatever, whatever, whatever. But I dare say um, some of this, some some of what we're seeing in schools might be as a result of kids trying to maneuver this kind of information about parents going to prison. So as I was just sharing, some of our actionists in our We Got Us Now Actionist Network, which is a, a, a community, a nationwide community of daughters and sons from all across the United States that have been directly impacted by mass incarceration by having their parent incarcerated, they are young adults and we have a junior actionist community, but the young adults that we have are professionals. We have researchers, we have teachers, we have social workers, we have um, adjunct professors. Uh, we have people that have started their own nonprofits um, that centers around this issue. And because they were once daughters and sons, we have been working collectively to figure out and ensure that we can provide best practices and solutions, um, uh, frameworks in which people can work and give them the tools in which to work effectively to support these, these children. Um, for instance, the legislation that we helped to pass in DC, the local legislation, that was all centered around DC public schools to ensure that DC public schools help children impacted by parental incarceration with social, social emotional support, economic support, educational housing, health, and mental health needs. So by, by doing that, we are working, and that was led by our actionist in DC. So he has his lived experience. He's also a, an author, and he also was able to lift up his not only himself and share his own experience, but also lived, lift up his his lived expertise alongside his professional experience and what he can bring to the table. And that led to 
us working alongside him to get these all DC public schools now to provide these social emotional supports for elementary school children. And so that's just an example of like how we have been able to do this work. <laughs> I don't know if you all just saw recently, but Senator Wyden and Congresswoman Jayapal introduced legislation to provide alternatives to incarceration for parents. Um, that just happened like two days ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, one of the statements, of course, we got us now as a big supporter. I left a statement to endorse, you know, our um, this Families Act, because really, we do need sentencing alternatives. We don't need to just keep incarcerating ourselves out of, um, you know, problems. We really need to get to the root issues of the problems. And that's what We Got Us Now is here to do. Our objective is to ensure that we are connecting with different systems and different people. Uh-oh. Hello. Oh, yeah, Harry, put up our, oh, I was like, <laughs> <laughs> I know it's, yeah. it's very jarring when you see it, right? Like, what is happening? <laughs> <laughs> I said, oh no, did we get disconnected? But yeah, that's that's our objective. So we're we're here, we're here in New Haven today. We are so happy to be welcomed by you all and um excited to be talking to you all about how we are exploring the well-being of children of incarcerated parents and young adults. Very, very excited again to be here with you. Thank you so much, Babs. I appreciate you talking with me today. Oh, no, it's my, it is my absolute pleasure to talk to you, Ebony. And I, I, I just admire you and the work that you're doing. And somebody's got to be concerned about the children. So thank you so much. And I, I hope you have a wonderful talk today. I'm going to try to get over there. I can't guarantee it. But I'm so glad that I got to have this one-on-one -on -one time with you. And I know yeah. you're going to inspire some of these law students uh, to to uh, think about how they move forward in the world and be a, be of uh, of service to uh to, to this population of children, so, and, and yeah, folks. Thank you so much, thank you so much. We do have partners too, so it's the, it's the Law and Racial Justice Center, as well as the MBA Foundation, um, Aspen Ascend Institute, and Sony Music, so very, very excited about, you know, being right. part of this. Well, thank yeah, you, enjoy thank your, you so your talk, and make sure they take you someplace good for lunch, like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I will. Well, this, is a, this, is a, this is a pizza town, so mention that. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Thank you so much, Ebony, and uh, bless you for the work that you are doing. Thank you so much. You take care. It was a pleasure. All right, my dear. All right, <laughs> bye, bye. All right, Harry Jones, I will see you all tomorrow. Thank you for this wonderful time, and I appreciate this. And um, you can you can still click on here and and if you have time from twelve ten to one thirty today to go here, Miss uh, Ebony Underwood at the Yale Law School, Baker Hall, which is right there on uh, 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 Ashman. So make your way over there if you can. Uh, room one twenty two uh, is hosted by the Yale Law Center and the racial the the Yale Law and Racial Justice Center. So I'll be back tomorrow. So y'all be good. Take your care. <laughs>